Let's, let's go with this question. How many of you love your job? Anyone love their job? You wake up in the morning, you are pumped to go to work. Okay. How many of you would love to punch your job in the jugular? Anybody? Anybody? Okay. Um, now, today we're going to be talking about some very important concepts, and they, they seem disconnected, but they are connected in a very important way. We're going to talk about work, and we're going to talk about words. Because King Solomon, now, if you're just joining us, he's walked us through this book of Ecclesiastes, where essentially Solomon starts off in Ecclesiastes, and he says, I'm going to find out what gives life meaning. I'm going to find out what gives life happiness. And he systematically did an experiment where he said, I'm going to see if, if partying can make me happy. And he partied to the maximum. He had parties for tens of thousands of people. He didn't just kill cows. He killed herds. He didn't just have a bottle of wine. He had vineyards. And then he said, this left me wanting. So then he said, I'm going to see if I can get happiness through relationships. He had 700 wives, 300 concubines that we know about. Now, this is the person who went... He got to ask God for anything. He said, God, give me wisdom. And it says that the Bible made Solomon the wisest person who had lived in the world up to that point. So I still find it weird that he had 700 wives and he was wise. Does that make sense to anybody else? And if you're a husband and your wife is here, don't laugh because you will be in trouble for that. You cannot laugh when I make jokes about being uh, married, okay? Husband, wives can laugh all you want. So, so then that didn't work. And then he said, no, I'm going to get money. And he had more money. He had so much money that silver became his stone. It was that common. And gold became as common as silver. And then at the end of Ecclesiastes, he's sitting down and he's saying, look, you guys, I did all of this partying. I did all of this happy seeking. And it was all meaningless, vanity, vanity. So now he's sitting down. And as we talked about a few weeks ago, he's like the grandpa. And he's got the cup of coffee. You know the grandpa coffee, the Folgers, it's three days old, it's been microwaved ten times, and your spoon just sticks up in it. And your grandpa gives you the same cup, and he doesn't let you put cream in it, because cause he was like a World War II veteran, you know? This is Solomon. And he's giving us advice today on how to work. And I think sometimes we separate our existence. We say, here's where I work, here's where I play, and here's where I sprinkle Jesus. And Jesus does not want us to operate that way, so the Bible speaks directly to us about how we ought to work, about being wise and being foolish. So it's going to start with wisdom and foolishness, and give us a lens, and it's going to jump in. So we're going to be in verse 2 of chapter 10, is where we're going to start. Verse 2 of chapter 10. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. So he's just giving us a general litmus. And as a side note, I think this verse... I think it's ironic that the Republican Party hasn't grabbed this verse yet. Anyone else think that's funny? A, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right. I feel like they should just put that on their coffee mugs, and, and then like they would attack the left with it. And by the way, if you're new, I don't believe Jesus is Republican. I think it's all crazy that stuff's going on right now. But I'm, I'm a little, you know, I'm concerned that the Republicans aren't reading Ecclesiastes, because they would have found this. This would be on every bumper sticker in Florida, um, or at least half the bumper stickers, because we're a swing state, right? right? Which way are we going to go? As a Californian, we just, like, you just were what you were. But in Florida, I'm like, hey, my vote counts here. This is exciting. Um, so side note, we're going to keep on going. Even when a fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. He says, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. Okay, paint the picture. Here you are. You're driving down the I-75, and you're going, I'm going to say a generous 79 miles per hour. Okay, 
So I, some of you, like the road hogs, you're like, 79, <laughs> if I'm in my grandma's 84 Cadillac, you know, I know you go faster, whatever. We're going to find a medium place. What do you do when you're driving down the road? You're on your way to Sarasota. It's a beach day. Everything's going perfect. You've got a cooler with a picnic, and you see some crazy dude walking in the middle of the freeway. What's your first inclination? What? Gas? <laughs> we need we have some therapy we're going to offer for free after the service. I hit the gas. If I see a guy in the 75, I mean, he should not be there, so I'm going to make sure he's not there. <laughs> you guys are... My work's cut out for me. Ideally, we'd hit the gas, but you wouldn't think, like, this person's sane, right? Even the people sometimes, and I find this so odd, sometimes people get in an accident, and they're on the median shoulder, and they think in their mind somewhere that it's wise to try to cross over i'm like don't do that just wave at somebody put your hood up don't if you don't have a cell phone the call box should be out of your options if you're on the wrong side of the fruit but i've seen people do this before i've seen people walking down the road and, and solomon is telling us look fools you can spot them by the way they walk you you know exactly who the fool is just by the way they carry themselves now nobody generally thinks they're a fool so that this is a hard thing it's called a blind spot so what you have to do is you've got to ask some of your closest friends hey what are some things that i do that are foolish i don't think any of you have walked across the 75 freeway in the middle of rush hour but i wouldn't put it past some of you i I don't think that many of you you know lack what we call common sense but i have had coffee with some of you what i want us to think about is is this very, very, very important truth is that we all have areas of foolishness. There's, all, all of us have areas in our life where we, we get stuck in childhood, right? Did you know the average age of a video game player right now is 39 years old? 39 years old. All the 39-year-olds are like, yep. All the 50-year-olds are like, what's a video game? It's like, you see, it's like Pong, but then graphics. Like it's like a movie in Pong. Sorry. Because then you've got the younger kids that they're like, oh, that's their life. They go from phone to Xbox to phone. And it's just a screen-addicted world. I'm getting glasses uh, this week. They're ordered. They're on their way because my eyes have been abused by screens now. And I knew it was getting bad because I was like, hey, can we make this font bigger? Can you focus the projector? And the tech guy was like, no, man, it's focused. Your brain's out of focus. So I got my eyes checked, and it's true. My brain's out of focus. So, so foolishness is in the way that we walk, and we need to be aware that all of us have areas of foolishness in our life and have people that can speak into us and say, hey, uh, you, you got stuck in 12-year-old self here. It's time to, to grow and become an adult in this area of your life. The Jewish people had no adolescence, so we have these amazing years we call teen, teenage years, right? It's what every parent looks forward to. As soon as your baby's born, you're like, I can't wait till you're a teenager, I can't wait till you hate me and you think I'm an idiot, but really you're the idiot. You just went in the Jewish culture from child, and then at 13, adult. You went from, I don't have to do stuff, to I'm going to get a full-time job and walk uphill to work in the snow both ways every day. 13, boom. So I've tried to carry that into my house. I'm prepping my children for this. So I'm telling them, like my, my oldest is seven. So I say, Jackson, you've only got a few years left, so you're getting a job. And he looks at me, what kind of job? Eight hours a day, behind a desk, slaving away, answering emails. He's like, I can barely type. 
I don't care, buddy. I want you to work. But will, will, will I get money? Nope. This is called chore work. It's free. This is called slave labor, but it's legal still in this country, and I'm going to make you do it. And, and I'm trying to instill this in him because I don't want my kid to become a fool. It's easy to get locked into the pattern because everyone around you might be walking the same foolish direction. And, and if everyone's walking the same foolish direction, you're less inclined to realize that you're in a pack of fools. If everyone is doing foolish things and walking down the 75, they'd be like, hey, everyone else is doing it. I may as well do it. But that's all good until Mark comes down and hits the gas with his semi-truck. Then it's not good. You said gas, and you drive a semi-truck. That's on you. Okay, we're going to keep going. If the anger of a ruler rises against you, do not leave your place for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. If, if the anger of a ruler comes against you, be calm. Now, this is going to be a really quick sermon because a lot of this is pretty self-explanatory. If somebody gets angry at you that's in charge, just be calm. Just let it ride. I don't need to read about it on Facebook. You don't need to scream about it. You don't need to yell at your spouse about it. If, if you're really upset at the political climate right now, just be calm. You want to know why? Because in 50 years from now, both of those people are going to be dead. I mean, some of us will be dead too. Hopefully I'll be dead. Because I don't want to be 87. That, I, I'm a tall guy. You've all seen tall people age, right? We just like begin to turtle. <laughs> so I'm like, God, take me before I turtle. The Bible says, stay calm in the midst of an, anger, an angry ruler rising against you and you will lay great offenses to rest. Martin Luther King did this. He, he changed a tide by, by trying to protest with peace and calmness, and that went against the whole tide of, of the racism that had led to that point. He didn't try to fight back. He didn't arm the people. He said, we're just going to protest calmly. We're going to calmly stand in front of batons and fire hoses, and we're going to calmly see this thing change. And it changed the world in a great way in our country. Now we're going to begin to shift Solomon says in verse 5, There is an evil that I have seen under the sun. Everyone say, under the sun. Remember, this is this life, not heaven life. This life in the sinful, broken, fallen world where sin has infiltrated. Here's the error, as it were. An error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places. So there will be rulers where foolishness takes place. And the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. So he's setting up this portion on work. He's setting up this portion on, here. I'm going to talk about work, but I'm letting you know, under the sun, things are messed up. Under the sun, I've seen foolish people in high places. I've seen rich people in low places. Under the sun, there's some brokenness, but I'm going to give you some advice, is what Solomon is telling us. So here's advice point number one. Verse 8, he who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. So here's what Solomon is saying. Look, work is going to be hard. Some of you are going to be pit diggers, and you're going to fall into the pit. Workers comp. Some of you are going to break down a wall, and as soon as you complete your task, a snake's going to bite you. Now, here's what Solomon's not saying. He's not saying do nothing. He's going to tell us very explicitly, work hard, work at what you do, be excellent in your, in your craft. But things could go bad. As a matter of fact, things will go bad. When I was uh, a teenager, I worked at a car dealership, and we had these giant concrete planters, the kind that you put trees in 
So we were moving one because the boss wanted to move a tree pot planter from this side to that side, whatever it was. So they said, we need the biggest guys that we have. And, and I'm not like big in the muscle sense, but I think my height deceives people. So they put me on this team of big dudes. So me, big dude number two, big dude number three, we, we tipped it up, we got the jack in it, we tipped it back, and then we moved it to the new place. And then we're tipping it up, and we're letting it down, and, and it's like they just, they forgot to say, is everyone out from underneath it? Because my hand was still under it. I was hulking this thing up like Thor. I was a demigod, my thighs were just burning, and they dro- dropped it. Boom. Now this thing weighs, I'm going to guess, a solid six, seven hundred pounds. So my hand is underneath this thing, and I realize what's going on. I'm like, it's gone, man. And I scream. I'm not going to scream because my mind, they're not ready. I scream. I was like, help! Help! And the two guys that were with me, because I couldn't help anymore, because my hands are, I'm literally tugging it, and my arm's just like a piece of meat. I'm pushing with my chest. No! And then all of a sudden, the guy that we should have had move it comes bounding out of the mechanic shop, just the biggest, burliest dude. And he grabs the whole thing. And he did like that mother super strength thing. And I pull my hand out. And this is no joke. This is what happened. I look at it for a second. And then. Now, that, this was traumatic. Now, if you look at my middle fingers, which I'm not going to show you. This one is a lot thicker than the other one because it cracked in half. My finger cracked right down the middle. Guess what I've never done again? Someone's like, hey, we need to move a heavy object. Let me show you what happened the last time I moved a heavy object. I don't want that again. Now, I still from time to time move heavy objects. But I'm at the age now because I have prescription glasses that are on route where I can say, somebody find me a 20-year-old. This is, I'm beyond this point now. I'm like fitness band, walk, light, jog mode of life. Solomon says, things could go bad, but keep on working. And here's what I love. One of the things that we're going to learn to do in our next sermon series, we're starting a new sermon series on September 11th. And a bunch of marketing is going to start coming out for that to invite our friends to. But I I tried to dwindle it down to get to the smallest number of sermons. And currently I'm at 61 sermons. So the next sermon series is going to last for over a year. And I could not be more excited about it. And one of the things that we're going to emphasize in this series is learning to see Jesus in the entire Bible. Learning to see why Genesis is pointing toward Jesus and why Exodus, and we're going to go through the books of the Bible. And so that's why it's 61, because I I paired together some of the books. But right here in this verse, I love this, because it's almost like there's this shadow. If you read the Bible enough, you can start to pick up on themes. And it says, he who digs a pit will fall into it. And And I love that in one sense we fall into a pit, but in the ultimate sense, Jesus went into the pit of death for us. That's what First Peter tells us. He descended to the pit for you and for me. And then, it, and then he says, the serpent will bite him. Well, the serpent bites us, but Jesus crushes the serpent's head. And then it says, he who quarries stone is hurt by them. There, there are stones that crush men, but Jesus is the cornerstone who will constantly lift us up and be the center and the rock of our life. So we're going to learn how to do some of that. But for today, I just want you to begin to think that way, see the, the world of Scripture in that way. Verse 10, if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Now this is very cut and dry. This is when your um, husbands, this is when your wives tell you to do a task, and you know there's probably a smarter way, but brute force just sounds like more fun, right? 
And, and we all have that guy friend that, that will rather use force. We all know him, right? He's got the biceps, or he's got like dad issues, big anger complex. But he will brute force his way into anything. You tell him, I want to get rid of this tree, here's a bat, and he'll try. Now, the Bible wants us to be wise in the way that we're working. First, Solomon says, I want you to work without fear. Things will go, things will go bad, but, but work and trust. And then he, he's telling us not to work smart. Use, use your brain. Some of us, we don't, we don't like to use our brain. Some of us turn off our brain right when we get to work. We, we go to work, and we're like, okay, I'm here. Boom, power down. Coffee. TPS reports. And you just do this all day. Some of us have to use our brain for work. Some of us depend on caffeine to make our brain work. Solomon says, I want you to use wisdom. If you're cutting something down, sharpen it. it if you're working with people, become a people person. If you're in sales, for example, you don't want to be the grumpiest, angriest looking person on the block. Salespeople should be happy, right? I mean, looking at you now, I can tell who are not salespeople and who are salespeople. Just natural, your natural disposition. You want to sell something, you don't. It just works. You guys understand this. If you, it, it, no matter what your vocation is, you, you want to work well at it. Nobody, when their plumbing breaks, calls me. My plumbing broke. Oh, my goodness. Oh, life's going bad. You know why you don't call your pastor? Because you're cursing up a storm. So you call your plumber, who also curses up a storm. So you guys have a powwow. He fixes your leak. And then you come to church, and I fix your spiritual leak. And then all is good. No, but in all seriousness, work, work without fear, work smart. And then he says this in verse 11. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. That's like one of those duh lines, right? So I've been to India. You see the guys doing the snake charms. It would be so funny, but not funny, if the guy's like, okay, we're going to get set up here. Okay, are you ready, Slytherin? And you put the little basket down, and as he turns to get his flute, the snake's like, boom, gotcha. He's like, it's too late. Boom. You know? So Solomon says, work without fear, work smart, and then finish well. Make sure you're doing your job well. Now, now here's where I want to pause. See, in my vocation, we have this thing called calling. Because not many people want to subject themselves to ministry. There are a few sadistic people out there. But, but I rarely meet the person who's like, I was called to be a plumber. Or I was called to be a drywaller. Or I was called to be a concrete layer. I rarely meet that person. But, but I, wanna, I want you to think about something right now. Every single job that is held by every person in this room at least as of today, was given to you by God to be used for God. There, there is no job unless you're in something that's outrightly sinful. Like if you're here and you're thinking, oh, my job is from God, I'm a pornography director. Nope, not from God. That's from sin. Okay? We're, like if you're working at a club, that's, that's from sin. We have different conversations. Now, now every, every job, whether you're a doctor or whether you're working at a fast food restaurant, Every job has meaning and value. And I think sometimes we don't see that. I think sometimes we forget that God has given us the ability to take the raw materials that are on this planet and create beautiful things for human flourishing. Because it is a beautiful thing today, friends, that I get to go to my coffee shop's grand opening. 
I can't tell you how excited I am. You guys know I, I go to foundation. I'm what you call an addict. And they're opening a brick-and-mortar building in Tampa. It's their grand opening today. And my wife, uh, this morning I was getting ready. I was like, what day is today? Today is chapel day. And then I said it again. Uh, what day? And I do do this, by the way. I'm this crazy in the morning on Sundays. What day is today? And Amy goes, today's foundation day. I was like, that's why I love you. Because <laughs> you know that what's going on. Because I'm going here, nap, foundation. And I'm just going to drink coffee. And there's a brewery a few doors down. But I don't go there because I'm a pastor. <laughs> the new people are like, uh. <laughs> I'm sorry, you know. Okay. Work, work, work without fear. Work smart. Finish well. Take your calling, whatever God has called you to do, and press into that. And, and here's where it changes for, for people who are followers of Christ. In our culture, there's this weird thing where we turn our work into what validates us as people, which is why when you meet somebody, you say, hi, my name is Ryan. Hi, my name is Bob. And my, almost my next question is, what do you do, Bob? And Bob wants to tell me, and hey, what do you do, Ryan? And we want to talk about what we do because our job in this culture often validates who we are rather than our identity in Jesus validating who we are and being who we are. And that's a very different conversation because now my worth is not predicated on what I can create, but it's my, my worth as a human being is based on what Jesus has done for me. Your worth is based on what Jesus has done for you, which makes going to a job that you hate way more tolerable. Because if your identity is wrapped up in your job and you hate your job, guess what happens? It's like the trickle-down effect. It, and if, if you're not married or if you're not part of a group, you, won't, you might not get this. But if somebody's angry all the time and then they come home, angry all the time, how does that affect the kids? How does that affect the roommates? It affects everything like crazy. It's like a poison that seeps in. Now, Solomon wants you to know, as you work, know your calling, know your place, and be where you are, but know that what you're doing is not your identity. Your identity is in what I have done for you. Your identity is in what I have given you. Now, he's, uh, he's going to go on, and I'm going to read through some big chunks here. I'm skipping down to verse 15, but we're going to come back up. Uh, the toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Work without fear. Work smart. Finish well. And then this one, work with direction. If you don't have a place that you're aimed in your work, you're going to wander around and get lost. You won't have a direction in the city. If you don't set a goal... That's, that's touchable, tangible, specific, measurable, then you're, you're not going to complete that goal for whatever your job is. Solomon is passing along this knowledge to us, but, but I'm going to back up because for, for time's sake, I want us to get to the words part, okay? So anyone here have trouble saying things they shouldn't? Foot and mouth syndrome. Okay, just, just me, or I've heard that people sometimes have this. Check out what Solomon wants to t tell us about words in verse 12. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies his words, though no man knows what it is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him. So here's what Solomon says. Wise guy is going to 
a, a wise man, a wise guy is bad in our culture, a wise man will, will speak wise words, but a fool's mouth will get him in trouble. Some, some of us are predisposed. So you're either a person where you think first and then talk second, or you're a person who talks first and forgets to think. And, and there's some other options out there. But, but you know who you are instantly. Like you know, like, oh, I'm the, I'm the think first. And some of you are, I think for so long that by the time I want to say something, the other person I was going to talk to has been gone for a week and a half on vacation. Some of you are that person. And, and if you don't know, just get in an argument with somebody. So you argue with them, and you can figure out which one you are. If you're the talk now, think later version, you're the one that blows up. Well, you did this. If you're the think now, talk later, you're the one that sits there like a mouse. And then you walk away, and as soon as you walk away, you just have the gem of a bomb that will destroy their existence. And then you get to be either a think and be gracious or, or not. Now, I don't know about you guys, but the Bible says that the tongue is set on fire by hell itself. I think the Bible means it. And I think that we all know, because many of us have been in that circle where you're talking bad about somebody and said somebody walks in right behind you. Have you guys had that experience? Nobody? Me neither. I mean, I've heard that it could happen. That, that you're talking about somebody and you're God, you know you're in the thick of it and all of a sudden they're there and it's like that moment where dad or mom walks in behind the siblings about to get in trouble and they're like, woohoo! And you're like, they're right behind me, aren't they? And, and your words get you in trouble. A, a fool's words end in evil madness. And, and here's the thing that I said in the beginning. No one self-describes himself as a fool. No one wakes up in the morning and they're like, ah, it's another fool's day for me. I'm going to go walk down the I-75 and curse at old people. No, nobody does that. Nobody wakes up with that on their agenda. We wake up thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a reasonable human being. And then something crazy happens. As many of you know, I've struggled with road rage uh, in my life, and God's been really helping me with that. As a matter of fact, on the way back um, from, from a little trip I was on with my wife, now, barring the fact that I was already being a dumb husband and using dumb words, and we were in a little skerfuffle, I was driving the speed limit. But the person behind me didn't care for the fact that I was only going the speed limit. And you guys, I have not been laid into this hard in a long time, because they went, as soon as the lane was open, they popped over to the next lane, and as soon as they were in that lane, they laid on their horn, and they had some sort of hand gesture like a rocket ship just taking off and just staring at me. And they just, and I look over, and just for reference, I'm here. Right here, it says, love God, love others. And right here is a rocket ship going straight to hell. No, I'm just kidding. It was just a rocket, rocket ship, and, and the hand gestures, and the anger. And, and in that moment, I thought, I could either be a fool like I've been in the past. Because my past road rage self, for those of you who don't know, like Jesus is sanctifying me, he's working on me. But there have been times in my, my recent past, like not in Florida, but in California, where somebody would do something to me, cut me off, be angry at me, and I'd just start following them. I'm like, just wait till we get out of the car. You think because I drive a small car that I'm a small person? I get out like a transformer on my Jetta. And they just think because I'm in a Jetta that it's like a teenage girl car. No, that's not how it works. Like, I'm a, I'm a big boy, and I have anger issues that, that Jesus is working on. I'm going to therapy often, as often as I can afford. <laughs> and, and I was like, I should do it. I should follow, I'm going to follow that lady. And then I'm thinking, like, my kid's in the car. I'm like, they know Jesus. I'm going to follow this lady. I'm going to take her out. I sped up for a second, and then I thought, no, I'm just going to be calm. Because what can I do? Like, what am I really going to do when I catch up to some angry lady? Be an angry pastor? And then, like, Lord knows, she shows up to church next week, right? <laughs> that guy. 
I didn't even say anything. We have a choice. We can think and close our mouth and say, is this wise word or is this foolish word? Ephesians puts it very nicely for us. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who hear. So before you say something, are you asking, is this going to build somebody up, build up their love, build up their joy, or is it going to tear them down? I mean, imagine how changed our relationships would be if we just used that, if we threw out every marriage book that ever was written and we said, before I say anything, I'm going to ask, does this build up or tear down? And some of you are instantly thinking, we can't do that because sometimes people need to be torn down. How does that work out for you? Does it work great? Do you tear your spouse down and the next day they come to you and they say, thank you for abusing me emotionally? No, nobody likes that feeling. We can still build up in the midst of constructive criticism. Now here's where he really gets me, you guys. Jump down to verse 20 because most of us are guilty of using our words in a wrong way. Verse 20 takes it to the next level, the Jesus level. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature will tell the matter. So now here's where it gets interesting, because we've collided. Words and work. And words often become sinful at work. Words become very easy to spread at work. Because you can say it, and you can just... Blame it on the work-related words. That's the reason you're being a jerk. But this thing with thoughts scares me. There's an amazing thing that happens um, when you become a follower of Jesus. Now, if if you don't know Jesus yet, here's what happens. You start out saying, I want to make my life better. My kids are headed a bad way. So I'm going to go to church. I want to feel enriched and encouraged. I want to find hope. That's awesome. Then if you become a follower of Jesus, you say, Jesus, I'm yours. You're mine. I'm going to follow you. I'm all in. Then you come to church programs, and we start to shape you. We're like, okay, here's what you do. And this is average churches. Don't cuss. Don't watch rated R movies unless they're about me. And we're just going to sort of mold you around bad music, good music. We do all these weird sub-Christian culture things. You've got to get this bumper sticker, this coffee cup. And then all of a sudden, you finally stopped sinning on the outside but the Bible has your number. The Bible's like, oh man, this guy, Ryan, he was a rascal. He could, he could drop cuss words with the best of them. He, he cursed like a sailor. He drank like an Irishman. I mean, he was wild. And then all of a sudden, Christianity got a hold of me and it starts shaping me. Clean cut, buzz cut, boom, boom, boom. I tuck in my shirt sometimes, guys. But if you see me in a suit, be warned. It's either the worst day or the best day of your life. Okay, I'm not going to wear a suit. If you see me in a suit, it's because either somebody died or they're getting married, sometimes both in the same day, and that's always weird. Okay. Now, now we get to that point where everything's good on the outside. We don't cuss as much. The road rage person can drive by us, and the, and the Bible's like, <laughs> even in your thoughts, don't say anything bad about people. So when you put your head on your pillow at night, even in those thoughts, God's like waiting. Because I'm going to be really honest. There's been moments where I've gone to bed at night as a pastor, not in the recent history, but recent enough. And my thought is, God, why don't you just kill that fool and all of his friends? And I know you're thinking, like, do you really think that? Absolutely. There have been people that I've thought that about. When I, when I read something horrendous on the news, when I read something about a child being abused, somebody being murdered, my like, God, just kill them. We've already discussed this. Like, if I were on the cross instead of Jesus, I would have laser beamed people because he could do whatever he wants. 
But he didn't. And Solomon says, beware. And he didn't even have the New Testament to tell him why this works this way. But he said, your thoughts are evil. And they plant a seed in you. And that seed is going to grow into something that's going to become a word. And that seed that fed those words might one day feed those actions. And that seed that fed those words that became those actions might one day dissolve your relationship with your kids or your relationship with a friend. Those, that seed that starts on the pillow thought of, I just can't stand this person, I wish this person would go away, becomes a word that can dissolve a marriage, that can dissolve a job. The good news in all of this is that Jesus looks at all of us. And, and that illustration that I love often using is that if, if your life thoughts and emotions were broadcast on a TV behind you for just 24 hours, you wouldn't have any friends left. You would, your wife would hate you, your husband would hate you. If it was here right now, I mean, I'd be like looking at some of you playing Angry Birds. I'd be seeing some of you on Facebook. I'd be some of, some of you doing whatever you're doing. Like playing, I knew one guy who was addicted to online poker on his phone, and he would play it during church service. Oh, that's ironic. Like, some of you think, well, if I come to church, you know, I'll get struck by lightning. No, God didn't strike that dude. And he's sitting there playing poker for money in the middle of church service. That's the kind of people I want, by the way, so if you know them, bring them. <laughs> Jesus sees all of that and says, Here, here's what's going to happen. Your thoughts will never measure up, so I'm going to come and clean out your mind. And he does it, not by some weird religious course. He does it by putting his Holy Spirit in us. And for some of you, it's very quick. For others of us, it takes years. Some of us can have that testimony where you're like, I was point A, and God just launched me over to here. And those are the testimonies we always share from stages and churches across this country. But the testimonies I love are the ones where someone's like, Jesus saved me 16 years ago, and I've moved like an inch. And they're doing it with tears rolling down their cheeks, saying, it was the hardest inch I've ever moved. But I felt loved the whole way through. Some of us need to hear that story. Because some of us are wondering, why do I hate my job? Why are my words so terrible? Why is there so much bad coming out of me? Why, why is it that I can't go a day without thinking a bad thought about somebody else? Because some of us are still here. And God says, don't worry. We're going to bring you along. But it's in his timing. It's in his way. And it's by his grace that we make any movement toward him. So rest in that today. And I want you to know that if, you're, um, if you are struggling with something today, bring it to Jesus and leave it here. Leave it at the cross where you can say, God died for this. I no longer need to be held down by this. If you're somebody to the work-related thing that's finding your identity in what you do, Try starting a conversation today without asking somebody what they do at all. Say, hey, I'm so-and-so, you're so-and-so. What's your favorite thing about life today? Or what's giving you joy today? Take those steps. I hope you guys all did your homework from last week. Do you remember your homework? For those of you who were here, your homework was to have a nice meal with good company. So I got a lot of pictures. People had steak and wine with a good friend. So I, I have homework for you this week. If you love your job, I want you to write to, to me or the chapel on Facebook, email, whatever, 
tell me something you love about your job. And if you hate your job, I want you to tell me how this week you were able to overcome some of that hatred for your job. What did you do that helped you find more joy in your job this week? And if you could do that homework, I would be blessed. And, uh, and now we're going to invite the offering people forward. And I will pray us out of here.